0: You are listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today I'm going to answer a question that was asked. I got a, a message on Instagram. Somebody asked, can you explain the sliding filament theory? And I thought, I probably can So. Let's talk about the sliding filament theory, and this is going to be really good because once you understand the sliding filament theory, it's going to help with other concepts, namely length-tension relationships, which you've heard come up over and over again within the NASM text, so let's get started. Uh, Let's talk about the anatomy of skeletal muscle and you may need to acknowledge some of the characteristics of skeletal muscle first. First thing I would say that skeletal muscle is striated and those striations are caused by the Z lines which we'll talk about momentarily and they are voluntary as they're the only muscles with direct conscious control via something called the cerebral cortex. Big word, don't need to know, but it is nice to have that little touch point there. And I mean, they are mostly voluntary. Not always because I tend to jerk when I sleep and I have sent young children of mine uh, flying off my chest when I go into that jerk and off the bed, into walls, different things like that. So I apologize to both them and to my wife. Uh, they are multi-nucleated, which means the nuclei, the nucleuses, multinucleated is a better word, they are everywhere. So these types of things happen. These are characteristics that exist within the skeletal muscle, and skeletal muscle is surrounded by fascia we've here. we've heard this word fascia connective tissue uh there are different different um, levels and sheaths and surroundings for different parts of the muscle now the fascial sheath called the epimysium surrounds the muscle just the big muscle the whole muscle so think about a bicep right? The epimysium surrounds that muscle. The paramecium is the fascial layer that surrounds a bundle of muscle fibers called muscle fascicles. And these have the nucleon, the mitochondria, and the sarcolemma. And um, the sarcolemma sarco is Greek, and it it refers to the word flesh or muscle. So whenever you hear that, that Uh, sarco, we're talking about flesh or we're talking about muscles. So um, these sarcomeres and sarcoplasmic reticulum, those will be things that continue to pop up as we talk. So the fascia follows the muscle. Oh, yeah. Well, let's go inside. Let's go even deeper. So inside the paramecium, there is then the muscle fibers, the myofibrils. And they're surrounded by another fascial sheath called the endomysium. So you have the epimysium, paramecium, and endomysium. You have the muscle, muscle itself, the muscle fascicles, and then all the way down to the muscle fibers or the myofibrils. And the fascia all combine. So as the muscle tapers off towards the end, that fascia, that connective tissue, kind of uh, tapers together and it forms the tendons and the tendons anchor the muscles to the bone. So, the muscle fibers or cells contain bundles of protein inside of them called, you've heard them before, actin and myosin. And you've probably heard one is a thick filament and one is a thin filament. I'll give you just one moment, think to yourself, which one is which? Which muscle is a thin filament, which muscle is the thick filament? Well, I remember this because myosin sounds like muscle and it's and and i like to think about having big muscles right so the myosin is the thick fiber and that's just how i remember it and so the actin and myosin they work together to contract and so they attach this thing called the functional unit of the cell called the sarcomere and it goes from z line to Z-line. Now, the Z-line to Z-line is simply what gives the skeletal muscle its striated look, which we talked about as characteristics of skeletal muscle. It has striations, but it's simply a result of the alternated actin and myosin patterns, which creates this zigzag appearance. And when a muscle contracts, it actually brings the Z-lines closer together. So actin is the thin filament, and the myosin is the thick filament that attaches to the actin via something called cross bridging all right so the myosin head is going to reach across and grab the actin and it's going to pull the z lines closer together but there are going to be some force fields in the way force fields in the way blocking the actin And it doesn't want that to take place. It doesn't want the contraction to take place. And the force fields are called troponin and tropomyosin. So these force fields, troponin and tropomyosin, they're blocking the actin, so muscle contraction cannot take place unless. So if you've ever heard of ATP, and it is known as the energy currency of the cell, then they will need to cash in here in a moment, along with a few other things, including calcium. So that's, that's going to buy us out of some situations in a little bit. So let's look at when a motor unit sends a nerve impulse. That nerve impulse is called an action potential. It's a potential. It has, it's not going to necessarily create the, uh, the contraction, but it creates a potential telling it to move hence the motor part of the motor neuron creating movement it causes the muscle to release a chemical called acetylcholine and acetylcholine that's something that's important because what that's going to do it's going to release from that electric potential it's going to release calcium uh, sorry, sorry, uh, scratch that. Calcium is a big part of the muscle contraction. In this, it's going to create uh, sodium as a graded potential, and this electric energy is now starting to convert or starting to switch over into chemical energy. And along the sarcolemma it causes the sarcoplasmic reticulum and the T-tubules to begin to release calcium now calcium is the right thing and these calcium ions cause the muscle to contract leading to the term if you've ever heard it it's called excitation contraction coupling so we excite the muscles and the muscles contract we have an electrical impulse and we have a chemical impulse and it creates a mechanical force and those z lines as we talked about in that functional unit of the cell called the sarcomere get closer together. So when calcium is released, it binds to one of the force fields. Now remember, we've got force fields called troponin and tropomyosin. Well, calcium is going to move one of the force fields out of the way, all right? So it's troponin, and troponin loves calcium. And when they connect, it pulls the other force field, tropomyosin, away from the site, and then the actin and the myosin, the actin is the thin filament, the myosin is the thick filament, and it creates a head on the myosin that reaches over to the actin and grabs it. Well, it can grab it now, why? Because there's no force field. There's no force field there. Well, now that it grabs it, it's it's in this position, it's, it's ratcheted back, and once it grabs it, it moves it. Once that connection makes, It moves it, but we've got something that's going to have to take place. When the myosin head reaches up to the actin, thanks to the calcium getting the force fields out of the way, pulls those Z lines closer together, hence the sliding, the actin and myosin, the actin sliding over the myosin, hence the sliding filament theory or sliding filament model of muscle contraction. But since the actin, no longer has force fields. It It's being touched by the myosin and it's saying, I need something to make this let go of me. I don't want myosin and the myosin head and the cross bridging. I don't want this cross bridge to reach up and grab me. I had a force field in place, but now I'm going to have to pay it off. Well, how does, how does it pay off the myosin? Remember we talked about an energy currency of cells what's that yeah that's the atp so the atp then attaches to the myosin head and it releases and it lets go so if the If it's pulled it into position, once it lets go, because the ATP forces it to let go, it goes back into its original position. Well, the original position is basically locked, loaded, cocked, and ready to go. So whenever it actually touches the actin again, once it allows that calcium to come through, through the uh, sarcoplasmic reticulum, through the T-tubules, calcium ions get released, and the troponin who loves calcium reaches up and it moves out of the way and then because it moves the tropomyosin force field moves out of the way boom there it connects and ratchets again so the cross-bridging takes place this cross-bridging takes place and it is called the ratchet mechanism It's when that that myosin cross bridge continually reaches up and it attaches and it detaches and it reattaches and it allows the the filaments to slide well let's take this now and start talking about the length tension relationship if i've got sliding filament if i got cross bridges then then i i can better to if i take this my entire muscle and and my actin and myosin have cross-bridging and they can connect better because they have they overlay with each other more but if a muscle is too short then i can't connect as well i want i want this i want it to be uh, completely connected where the cross-bridging takes place but if it's too short the muscle's too short there aren't enough cross-bridges and it can't contract as well. Also, if the muscle is too long in a lengthened position, there are not enough cross-bridgings to take place to ratchet that muscle into position. So it's more challenging for a muscle to be in a lengthened position. So think about this. Think about um, um, a, a bicep curl, just a standing bicep curl. And then there's something else called a preacher curl. And then there is uh, an an incline curl where you're just kind of lying back a little bit and your arms are hanging behind you. Well, in a preacher curl, you're in a shortened position. And that shortened position in the bicep because the flexion at the shoulder makes it more challenging for the bicep to flex. There's also a lever length issue that's at play there. But there are two things at play there's a lever length issue and there is a cross bridging issue the muscle's too short makes it more challenging now if i go into a decline position or an incline position i'm leaning back and my arm's kind of behind me and i'm going into extension in my shoulder and it's then lengthening my bicep is that going to be easier or harder than standing upright and doing a bicep curl or keeping the arm right next to the body. Well, just like it was harder in a shortened position in the preacher curl, it's gonna be harder in a lengthened position in that incline curl. Well, you're stronger in from that neutral position. It doesn't mean you can't practice those other things. It's just there's a length tension relation there and says there's an optimal length at which we can produce optimal strength. And if there's an optimal length to produce optimal strength, then we want to find that. Same thing with, um, just I I like to go into uh, fight sports. Think about fight sports when it comes to that. And if I'm hitting a heavy bag, just think about hitting a heavy bag. If I'm going to hit a heavy bag and I'm too close to the heavy bag, can I really get a lot of power into that? Well, not as much as it would if I step back a little bit, full power, full extension, But what if I step back too far? If I step back too far and I overreach, then there's less impact in that punch. And that's how we have to really look at it. Um, Length tension relationship is similar. So here's what I want you to do. This is a practice, and for those who are watching me on this, on uh, Instagram Live, you'll be able to see me. Uh, But for those of you who cannot, here's what I want you to do I want you to make a fist. Just a neutral position fist, make it really tight, as tight as you can. Good. So now relax it, relax your fist. And I want you to flex your wrist, flex your wrist, keep it flexed and make your fist as tight as you can. Can you make that fist very tight? I I barely have opposable thumbs in this position. It's Very challenging. All right. So now relax again. And now go into, relax your hand, go into wrist extension, extend the wrist. Same position you're in when you're doing push-ups, your wrist is extended. So now just sitting here with your hand extended, keep the wrist extended, and flex the fingers. Make a fist as tight as you can, keeping the wrist extended. Can you make a tight fist? It's challenging. You can even do this with what's called ulnar and radial deviation. Ulnar deviation is if you take your hand, face it towards you, and your pinky side is the ulnar side, so just cock your wrist over to the side, right? That's an ulnar deviation. Keep it in that position and flex your fingers as tight as you can into a fist. Challenging. Alright, well now to try radial deviation. This one's really, really very small amount of deviation. I think it's 10 to 15 degrees maybe of deviation. Keep it radially deviated and flex your wrist as hard as you can while maintaining radial deviation. It is challenging. So why am I saying this? I'm saying it's go back to a neutral position and make the fist and feel how tight that is. Now, that is in part due to length tension relationships and other mechanical things that are going on in that, but you can understand that if this is happening at this distal portion with just my fingers and my wrist, how much more does that affect me in potentially an anterior pelvic tilt or forward head position or protracted and downwardly, downwardly rotated scapula that aren't moving the way they're supposed to? Or how does that affect me in all of these different areas when I have a length tension relationship issue. A muscle's too short, causing another muscle to be lengthened, causing movement to be altered. And we get into another conversation in the future, we'll talk about link tension relationships and force couple relationships and joint arthrokinematics, and those things are going to provide a lot more insight for people who have heard those terms and just aren't quite quite sure what they mean or what they do and where they came from or how how they apply and what we do about them in the fitness arena as fitness uh, fitness professionals and personal trainers I want to say thank you for the person who asked that question. And I do apologize. So I try to write your name down before I start the lesson. And I did not do that. And I apologize. But thank you, thank you, thank you for asking the question. Uh, I'll try to shout you out on Instagram once I get it. And then thank you so much for tuning in to uh, the NASMCPT podcast. And my name is Rick Ritchie. If you have questions, feel free to reach out to me at rick, R-I-C-K, dot Richie R-I-C-H-E-Y at N-A-S-M dot org or you can reach out to me on Instagram at Richie and uh, DM me, message me, tag me uh, let me know you're listening to these I appreciate it, thank you so much and I hope to see you next time